You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. All right, well, good morning again, Grace. Uh, If you will, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture, it's page 810 in the Pew Bible in front of you. We invite you guys to turn there. You know, years before we bought our house in, here in Troop, uh, my family and I, we rented a house in Hamlin. And uh, let me tell you, it was a beautiful house. It was set on an acre of land. It was surrounded by woods and wildlife. Uh, it was a great place to live. However, deep down, we always knew that it was only a temporary home. Now, that being said, while we lived in this house, we did the best we can to have a positive influence on our neighbors and our landlord. Uh, we did the best we could to take care of the house itself, Uh, with the goal of leaving it better than how we found it. Even with a couple of kids in there kind of messing around with stuff, we tried to leave it as better, uh, better than we found it. You see, it was our goal to leave a good, lasting impression while living in our temporary home. And church, in many ways, that's what we're called to do as Christians, right? We're called to leave a good, lasting impression while living in our temporary home. You see, the Bible teaches that believers are sojourners, temporary residents, foreigners, In this world, because our real home is with God. Philippians 3.20 says, but we are what? Citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. And so as citizens of heaven, while we eagerly wait for Christ's return, we're called to promote the interests of our place of true citizenship. In his book, Hope Again, Chuck Swindoll recounts a time when he was in the Marine Corps. I may have shared this with you before, but it's worth sharing again. He said this. He said, our troop ship had carried us across the Pacific, and my comrades and I were about to step on Japanese soil. We eagerly anticipated being on land after such a long time at sea. And for many of us, it was our first visit to a foreign country. While we were surging with excitement, imagination, and every other emotion you could think of due to these 17 days on the same ship. We were ready. But before we left the ship, however, our company commander called all of us together. He stood in front of us, looked around the group, and then staring deeply into our eyes, he said loudly and sternly, I want all of you men to remember that for the first time in your lives, you are the foreigners. This is not your country or your culture. You are now the minority. These are not your fellow citizens. They do not speak your language. They know nothing of your homeland except what they see in you. Act in such a way that the Japanese people will gain a good impression of your country and what America must be like. In church, this is a vivid illustration of what kingdom living looks like. You see, as followers of Christ, we're the minority in this world. This world does not speak our language and knows little to nothing about our homeland. And so as far as it depends on us, we're called to live in such a way that not only gives a good impression of our homeland, but also makes a positive difference while living in our temporary home. Are you with me? And so this morning, as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to find Jesus giving an overview of what this type of living looks like. And it's through our study, we're going to be reminded of an important truth to remember about Christians, and it's this. God made us to make a difference. He made us to make a difference. And so before we jump into today's passage, let's just pray one more time and ask God's blessing on our time in his word today. 
God, I want to thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. Lord, it's always humbling. And it carries a weight of responsibility. And so, God, as we open up your word, I pray that you would speak to us through it. This is just a wonderful passage of scripture that we get to dive into today. And, Lord, the power is found in your word. It's in the gospel. It's not in anything I have to say. And so I just pray that your word would shine through today. Pierce our hearts, God. Draw us closer to you. And all God's people said, amen. So before we hop in, let me provide a bit of context just to catch you all up. Last week, we finished the Beatitudes, uh, which are declarations of blessings for those who choose to do life God's way. And if you remember, the last Beatitude, what we talked about last week, had to deal with the blessings and rewards that come through persecution. And I believe Jesus saved this one for last for good reason. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, right? And you see, for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, for the rest of chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is going to focus on godly living. And so it would seem that Jesus was preparing his listeners for the inevitable, inevitable persecution that would come as a result of godly living. But nevertheless, our response, recognizing that persecution comes to those who live godly lives, our response should not be to retreat from godly living, but rather it should be to engage in godly living. Because when we choose to embrace kingdom living, it can have a transformative power both on us and the world around us. And so it's with that context we're going to read Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, and then we'll break it down. Follow along with me, if you will. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. The city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, church, a a story is told of of a man who was walking on the beach when he noticed one of the natives in the distance throwing some kind of object into the ocean. And as he got closer, he noticed that there were starfish laying on the beach, apparently left by the outgoing tide. And so the man asked the native, what are you doing? And the native responded, well, I'm throwing starfish back into the sea. If they don't get back into deeper water, they're going to die. And so the man replied, well, I understand that part, but I mean, look at the beach. It is covered with thousands upon thousands of starfish. There there must be thousands stranded here. I mean, do you really think it's going to make that much of a difference? And the native bent over, and he picked up another starfish, and he hurled them out to sea. With a smile on his face, he said, well, it made a difference to that one. I mean, church, let's face it. There are countless people who need the Lord, right? and the influence of Christians in their lives. And when we look at the needs of the world around us, I mean, like, the prospect is a little bit overwhelming, right? However, it's in these moments that we must recognize that we're probably not going to be able to change the entire world all in one shot. But we can make a difference in one person's world at a time. And so in today's passage, Jesus gives his disciples three ways in which we're called to make a difference. So let's begin by looking at the first, and it's this. We were called, we are called to be salt. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. 
You know, a few years ago, I went to Moe's to get a Joey Bag of Donuts combo meal. Any Moe's fans in the room? Love Moe's. There's going to be a Moe's in heaven. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to have a Moe's in heaven anyway. I don't know if you guys are. And so after I paid, I put some ice into my cup, and I poured some delicious sweet tea. However, once I sat down and took a swig, I started gagging immediately. Why? Because my sweet tea tasted like the Atlantic Ocean. And so after consulting with the manager, we had realized what had happened. You see, the employee that was charged with making the sweet tea used salt instead of sugar. And I got to experience that. Man, I tell you, you're parched and you swig down really quick some salty salty tea. It's a game changer. As you can imagine, that ingredient makes a radical difference, by the way. I mean, go home and try it, kids. You'll, you'll, You'll see. It makes a radical difference. Well, in the same way, when Jesus called his disciples the salt of the earth, he was calling them to make a radical difference. Now, probably not to the point where he, they're causing people to gag, but a radical difference nonetheless. In fact, when Jesus called his disciples the salt of the earth, he was giving them, listen, he was giving them intrinsic value and purpose. Intrinsic value and purpose. Allow me to explain. You see, in the Greco-Roman world, salt was considered a very valuable commodity. Actually, apart from the sun, Romans viewed salt as the most favorable commodity. Sun and then salt. In fact, Roman soldiers were often paid in blocks of salt. Can you imagine getting paid in a block of salt in today's world? Good work, son. There's a block of salt. Have a great week. But back then, it was a big deal. See, all this to say, in biblical times, salt was important. And so for Jesus to call his disciples salt meant they too carried special value. They would have been like, salt? And they would have started to make that correlation between salt and value and and, and wondering what that meant. More specifically, Christ was giving his disciples special spiritual value in the world. You see, in the ancient world, salt had a variety of practical purposes that can also translate into spiritual purposes. For example, salt was used to preserve food. Unlike today, there were no refrigerators in the first century Middle East, and so salt was caked onto food, uh, especially meat, to slow down the decaying process. Well, in the same way, Christ is calling his disciples to be preservatives in this world world, specifically, he's calling you and I to preserve the world from the decay of sin. And one of the primary ways we preserve the world from the decay of sin is by standing up for righteousness. Psalm 106.3 says, blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. You know, in the police world, the term thin blue line refers to this concept Uh, of law enforcement as being the line which keeps society from descending into violent chaos. And it's true. They're literally the only thing standing between uh, peace and anarchy in our streets, which is why I'm always going to be a proponent of backing the blue. Well, from a spiritual perspective, Christians are the thin bloodline that preserves the world from being completely and totally corrupted by sin. I mean, can you imagine? We just got done talking about the end times. Think about the world after Christians are taken out of it. In seven years, everything just goes crazy when there's no Christians involved. Only takes seven years. Less than seven years, really. 
And so, church, it's for this reason that we must follow. We must follow Paul's command in Romans 12, 21. He says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Because if we're not, no one else is. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like, if we're, okay, I just want to make sure that, like, you know, Paul's not saying, he says, don't be overcome with evil. Don't be one of the evil ones because that's not going to be helpful. We need to overcome evil with good. The second purpose for salt was cleansing. It was a cleansing agent. You see, salt is considered an antiseptic, uh, which is used to clean wounds and fight off infection. You know, we sometimes use the expression, you're rubbing salt into the wound. Ah! Right? Well, that's what salt does. It cleans, and it's painful at times. Well, as Christians, we're called to be spiritual cleansing agents for the world. And so this includes fighting off the infection of sin, but it also includes showing people how to receive forgiveness for their sins through Jesus Christ. Like what 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, it says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Now it's worth noting that embracing our role, church, listen, embracing our role as spiritual cleansing agents will not win us many popularity contests. It won't win us many, why? Why? Because cleansing agents, by their nature, expose what's dirty. And our world doesn't like their dirt being exposed. We don't like our dirt being exposed. And so this is a major reason why Jesus warned his followers that godly living brings persecution. The darkness doesn't want anything to do with the light. But nevertheless, we shouldn't shy away from embracing this role. Why? Because the reality is no one likes antiseptic when it's initially rubbed into the wound. What was that spray my mom used to use? Bactine. Does that stuff still exist? Bactine is the worst. When my, came, when my mom came running towards me with Bactine, I ran the opposite direction. Because it stings, right? I can't believe that stuff still exists. It's like nuclear spray in a bottle. I don't even know where I'm at here in my notes. Oh, yeah. No one likes antiseptic when it's rubbed into the wound. However, through time, what does it do? It promotes healing and better health. In church, therein lies our hope. Through time, acting as cleansing agents in our world will bring healing to lost souls and overall a healthier environment for everyone. That's our hope. And this leads us to one more purpose for salt in the ancient world. There's other purposes. This is just a few examples, but one other one, uh, one that we can all relate to in the modern world to enhance the flavor of food, right? I mean, all of us know Emeril, know Emeril, the famous chef Emeril, for his famous saying. What is it? Bam, Bam right? Say it with me. Bam. And that's, that's Emeril's way of expressing the, adi- the addition of an ingredient that kicks the flavor up a notch in food. Well, as believers, we have a unique ability to enhance the overall flavor of of life, to kick it up a notch, if you will. You see, when we choose to submit our lives in obedience to Christ, under the guidance of his word, the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, it will inevitably influence our world for the better. Now, on the contrary, if we don't, and this is important, if we don't live up to our God-given values, so, so you've got Jesus, 
He gives his disciples value. He says, you are the salt of the earth. And that meant something to them, right? And if we don't live up to our God-given value, then we are at risk of losing our value completely. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. In another passage, Christ says it's not even fit for the manure pile. And so the point is, as Christians, we lose our taste. We lose our flavor when our beliefs and our values and our character and our conduct blend in with the world around us. And once this taste is lost our ability to have a transformative impact is lost. You know what I'm saying? And so all this to say, the only way to make a meaningful difference in our world is to be different from the world. Because one thing that's unique about salt, you know when it's on your food, and you know when it's not on your food. It's different than the agent that you're putting it on. And so as believers, we need to be the same. We must maintain our distinction. Romans 12.2 says it best. Paul said, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is and what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so that's salt. This leads us to the second way that we're called to make a difference. We're called to be light. Verse 14a, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You know, summertime is, is one of the best times of year to drive out to the country on a clear evening and, and do some stargazing. Unless, of course, you live in Pennsylvania, where it rains literally all the time. But there's nothing more breathtaking than the sight of a myriad of stars illuminating the night sky. And if you're fortunate enough, you may even see some shooting stars sweep across the heavens as well. And stars, at the end of the day, I mean, I know there's all this scientific mumbo-jumbo reasons for them, but let's just face it, God made them to shine, right? That's why stars are up there. They're there to shine. And whether they're stationary stars or moving stars, they never stop shining. Did you know that? Stars never stop shining until they die, until they just die out. Now, we may not always see them shine, due to environmental hindrances, but they continually shine nonetheless. And we see them shining at their best when surrounded in darkness. Well, as believers, we're called to be like shining stars. As long as there's breath in our lungs, we're called to continually shine the light of Christ to the world around us. And when things are at their darkest is when we, is when we need to shine at our brightest. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 says, Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. Read this loud with me. Shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. You know, church, I know this goes without saying, but we're living in a very dark, depraved, discouraged, depressed, and damaged world right now. 
And now more than ever, people need hope and they need peace and they need salvation. And listen, the only way they're going to find it is if we who have hope and have peace and have salvation show them it. We must illuminate the pathway for them. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. So Jesus is the primary light. He is the light of the world. But he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, friends, as followers of Christ, we carry the light of life in our hands every single day. There's no place that we go that we don't have the light with us. The Holy Spirit, we carry the Holy Spirit every single place we go to. Did you know that? Everywhere you go. You say, how can I make a difference at work? Well, you carry the Holy Spirit with you every day. How do I make a difference in school? You carry the Holy Spirit with you every day. How do I make a difference here, there, or anywhere? You carry the Holy Spirit with you everywhere you go. You always have the light. But the problem is, we're guilty of covering it up. And there's no greater tragedy I mean, the more I'm understanding as I, as I grow in my, in my own walk with the Lord and I study God's word and I try to grow in my own faith, the more I'm getting to realize that there is literally no greater tragedy than a Christian who spends their life covering up the light. There's no greater tragedy. One commentator noted there are to be no covert secret agent Christians in the church. In other words, even though our faith is personal, it should never be private. You see the distinction there? Faith is personal. You need to personally receive Christ as your Savior. You need to personally commit to growing in your walk with the Lord and your relationship with God. That's a personal thing, right? But then your faith, your personal faith, should never be private. The world must see the light if they're ever to be impacted by the light. Just makes sense, right? I mean, I'm making sense to you guys, or is this like, whew, makes sense. But don't take my word for it. Let's look at what Jesus said. Second half of verse 14 and 15. He said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. I mean, this is like a radical way of saying like, guys, seriously, like think about this for a second. I mean, we had our power go out like several times this last week. Once was for like 27 seconds, and the other was for a little bit longer. And in the last one, it was pretty dark out, and, but it came on so quick that we didn't have to do anything about it. But imagine me as a dad, you know. I grab a candle or something, and I say, all right, guys, let's hunker down. I grab a candle, I light it up so we could see, and then I put a basket over the candle. Number one, fire hazard. But number two, it doesn't make any sense. And so, so this idea is as light, we were called to shine. To hide light is contradictory to its purpose. And if we hide the light of Christ, then similar to being tasteless salt, we're living in contradiction to the purpose that God has given us, and we lose our value for the kingdom. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says, For God, who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts, so we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, as far as it depends on us, church, we need to illuminate the light of Christ in our hearts so that others may have the opportunity to see the light of Christ as well. 
We need to follow the precepts of the old folk song, this little light of mine. We need to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And this leads us to the third way that we're called to make a difference, the most important way, really the reason why we're called to give God glory. This is all about giving God glory. Look at verse 16. In the same way, then, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In the opening chapter of his best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life, Pastor Rick Warren, he accurately states, he said, it's not about you. It's not about you. He said, the purpose of life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose for his purpose. You see, church, the whole purpose for being salt and light in our world isn't to draw attention to ourselves. It's to draw attention to God. It's not about making us look good. It's about making God look good. And once we begin to realize and accept this reality, life starts to make a little bit more sense. I love the words of the psalmist in Psalm 115.1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name. Give or be the glory. You see, our calling to make a difference in this world is only fulfilled when we live in such a way that gives God the recognition and the glory. Now, specifically, Jesus calls us to do this by doing good works, okay? And this is, these good works are not for our salvation. They're, they come after our salvation. They really only matter after our salvation. calls us to do good works. And it's worth noting, though, that non-Christians are capable of doing good works too, right? But when they do them, that doesn't mean God's always getting glorified. When we do them, it doesn't mean that God's already getting glorified. So what is the difference here? Let's just, just uh, clarify that. What did Jesus mean? I like what Dr. Tony Evans notes. He built his whole ministry on, kingdom, on the kingdom agenda. He, he does a really good job with this stuff. But he said this. He said, good works are connected to the kingdom work of God. And a good work is a righteous and biblically authorized action that is beneficial to others and for which God gets the credit. So unless God is part of it, it's not a good work. It's merely just a good deed. Good works highlight put on display, and make a big deal of God. And so, church, if you were to boil down this message really into kind of one idea, that's kind of what it, what it is. That's, that would be it. Our purpose for living is to make a big deal of God, to make a big deal of him in our home, to make a big deal of him in our workplace, to make a big deal of him at our school and in our neighborhood and everywhere else in between. It's all about Jesus. The Apostle Paul summed it up nicely in, in 1 Corinthians 10.31. He said, so wh whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, read it with me, do all to the glory of God. That's what it comes down to, friends. Do it all for the glory of God. You see, it's only when we live according to this principle that we will have a salt and light influence in our temporary home. Let me just ask you a question. How many of you want that kind of influence? If you say, if you want it, say bam. Oh, that was so. That was like, yeah, bam. Just a little bit. Come on, church. Are we, do we want to be change agents in this world or not? 
Do we want to be used for God's glory or don't we? How many of you guys want it? Let me hear it nice and loud. That's much better. Much better. I know I do. Which is why scripture encourages us to spur one another on to love and good works while we're still breathing. So we need to do that. How about it? And this leads us back to today's truth to remember. God made us to make a difference. Now before we close, it is important to note, really important to note, that you cannot make a difference for God unless you're a child of God. It's very important. Make no mistake about it, not everyone is part of God's family. You hear people say, oh, we're all God's children. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're all God's creation. But in order to be a child of the living God, you need to place your faith in Jesus. The Bible says in John 1.12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, to become a child of God is a choice that we need to make. And so as we close, I just want to ask you, are, are you a child of God? Are you confident that you're part of God's family? And if you're not sure, I want to tell you something. got great news. You can leave here knowing for sure that you are. The Bible teaches that all of us are sinners in need of a Savior and that God in his great love for you and me sent Jesus to save us. Jesus died on a cross and rose again and paid the penalty for your sin and, and gives you the opportunity to be saved and have eternal life. And experience the abundant salt and light life that he offers this side of eternity. And you can receive this free gift by admitting that you're a sinner, repenting of your sin and believing in the person and work of Jesus, trusting in him and him alone to save you. I love John 3.36. I've shared this often. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Friend, I want you to know your whole world can change in one minute today. The trajectory of your eternity and even your earthly life can change in one minute or less where you can leave here different than when you arrived. And that comes by placing your faith in Christ. And so if you would like to receive the eternal life that Jesus offers. Become one of his children and start this journey of living a life that makes a difference, owning your purpose. And I'm going to invite you to do so this morning. I'm going to invite you to come forward after the service. You can come forward during the closing song. You can come forward uh, after the closing song, but you come forward. As I've said before, I've said it last week, you know, more and more you get to know Jesus, you know, he, it was a public decision. When he called his, those to follow him, he called them publicly. And so I'm just going to ask you to do the same thing. I'm not going to draw attention to you or anything, but listen, you don't need to be embarrassed or ashamed to accept Jesus. When I was 17 years old, I prayed in the car with a buddy of mine, a teenage friend of mine who led me to Jesus. I remember where I was, down in all of it. I wasn't embarrassed. It was the greatest decision I ever made in my life. And it's the greatest decision you'll make as well. And so if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come forward afterwards. It would be my joy to pray with you and, and help affirm your decision. But this time I'd like to invite the praise team forward. As they come forward, I'm going to pray us out. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. And man, this is powerful. And you're setting the stage 
uh, for some really God intense subject matter that we need to deal with as a church as it relates to godly living. But God, I thank you that at the end of the day, you don't just tell us to live this way as if we're living some kind of set of rules just to live them. But Lord, that you've made us to make a difference. God, so many people struggle with life's purpose. They want to know, what is this all about? And how do I fulfill my purpose and and go to bed every night feeling fulfilled? And your word says, be salt and be light. So God, help us to be that uh, to our world even today. I pray for anyone here that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that they would come forward. They would affirm that decision this morning. Don't let Satan or the enemy cause them to, to, to retreat, but allow them to engage in the work that you're doing in their heart. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.